FOMO. My name is Patrick J. McGinnis, and I'm a FOMO Sapiens. And since you're here, I'm going to bet that you are too. And when you're like us and Monday comes around, you don't dread the new week. No, you wake up every Monday morning knowing that this week might just be the best one yet. This is Faux Monday, the snackable show that starts your week right with hot takes, life hacks, listener mail, and even some FOMO therapy. Hey everybody, this is FOMO Monday, the companion show to FOMO Sapiens, and of course we'll have a new episode of FOMO Sapiens for you on Thursday. But until then, happy faux Monday. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now, this week on the show, we talked with Professor Tom Eisenman of Harvard Business School about overcoming failure, or I guess it's more like avoiding failure, considering that he's trying to keep us all from failing. But it got me thinking, failure, I mean, we've all failed a million times. And I was thinking about some of my worst failures and I guess what I learned from failure because, you know, if you can learn, it makes it not so painful. Of course, in the moment, you're not sitting there thinking like, what a great learning experience. Maybe you are. I I certainly try to, but I usually fail at that. (laughs) See what I did there? But I was thinking back to my biggest failure and this was a time, it was 2008. Eight, my employer, AIG, blew up. I was working for the private equity division, and a lot of you know this story. And we had a company in our portfolio that I won't say what it did or where it was, because as you'll see later, things got very litigious. (laughs) And so I'm not going to say that because I don't want to poke the bear, as it were. But long story short, I was on the board of this company. company. We found out kind of all around this time, the company was about to run out of money and that the founder of the company had sort of bamboozled us and told us that there was money coming in and in fact had been doing all these really shady things. And I think he was empowered actually by the fact that he saw that AIG was in trouble and thought like, well, what are they going to do? You know, they can't really touch me. And so he he kind of maybe wanted to take over the company. It's a lot of, it's a lot of drama, but this was a time where uh, I actually ended up right after the financial crisis hit in September. I got super sick and like I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I had night sweats. I had swollen glands. They didn't know what was wrong with me. And I kind of didn't know what to do. I didn't tell my friends. And so I kind of withdrew from life. And so I'm dealing with this problem at work and I'm flying to Turkey, even though I'm terribly ill and pulling all nighters, then coming back to New York and crashing and I remember on Halloween of 2008, I went to a friend's house for a little party, a dinner party, and I was really late because I was sleeping. It was a Friday afternoon and I felt awful. And I got there late and they all made fun of me that I, you know, oh, I think I, you know, can make my own schedule and nobody else matters. And then I was also, I'd put on a ton of weight. And so I sat on a chair and it broke and everybody laughed and they didn't know. I mean, they, like, if, if it was just a normal time, maybe I would have laughed too, but I felt so alone and abandoned and I did nothing about that. I didn't tell my friends. But again, I just really, you know, I was in the situation where my health was failing, where my company was 
failing, where we were going to lose a ton of money on this investment, where we were going to, you know, it was very personal too, because, you know, I knew a ton of our employees and there was so much pressure. And when a business fails, it's just like, you feel so awful and you can't do anything. And long story short, we ended up in this long legal process that was nasty and horrible. And if you ever meet me on the street, I can tell you about it. I won't tell you anything, actually. Probably somebody's listening who's going to be like, I'm going to sue Patrick. So from that original business, I won't tell you anything, but but I can tell you more about it in a non-specific way, if that means anything. So anyway, what I wanted to do was offer you some thoughts from that experience of what I learned from that failure, what I would have done differently, you know, if I could go back and say to myself at the time, like, Patrick you know, let me help you here. Uh, What were the things that I should have done differently? And so there are five things that I want to talk about today. FOMO. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you improve efficiency by bringing all major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you got to do the math and save money. Good news. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to NetSuite.com slash FOMO. That's NetSuite.com slash FOMO. NetSuite.com slash FOMO. FOMO. All right. Number one thing I would do differently if I could go back to 2008 and see Patrick in his very bad place. The first thing is I'd own it. I think I was trying to keep up appearances. I think a lot of people do that in the corporate world or in life in general. When things kind of blow up, you sort of try to convince people things will be fine. We can work through this. And I can tell you at the time, this situation was so complex and things were evolving so badly that I think we should have been way more circumspect and realistic about the fact that just it was going to be ugly. And, and, had I had I the opportunity to talk to myself, I would basically say to myself, you should prepare yourself for the worst case scenario. And knowing that in mind, you know, yes, you can try to do something more constructive, but really own the fact that things are bad and that you are one of the people who, number one, had a contributing role. You did. Even if, you know, you were trying to do the best, you clearly failed in some way or another. And also that it's your responsibility to clean it up. And I think a lot of people too, in moments of failure, like this is a classic and I've seen this. I'm not saying this happened on this one, but you know, it's like the old saying that like success has many parents and failure has none. Failure is an orphan. So some people just run for the exits. And I, I didn't do that. And frankly, I don't think you should do that. But I would say, uh, it's really important to not only own it, but make sure that the people who are you're working with are on the team. Everybody owns it together and you talk about that and you just sort of sit down and I would have done, like if I go back in time, I would just sit back and say, what did we do wrong here? Like, let's talk about that first before we even think about what to do next. Like, what have we gotten wrong in this situation? Because if you know what you did wrong, you have a better idea of what to fix. Number two, ask for help. So as I told you, I was trying to hide 
from everybody. You know, it's like, a, I don't know why I would do this now, but you know, it's like, oh, everything's fine. I'm fine. I'm not sick. I would go on these crazy business trips and not tell my boss. If I had told my boss, I'm too sick to go. I'm not well. The doctor, you know, put me on a heart monitor, <laughs> which is what really did happen. Um, if I had told my boss that, I guarantee you he would have said, you know what, don't go. You need to take care of yourself. But I didn't do that. I didn't ask for help. I didn't ask for help from my friends. I only let a few people in on what was going on. And frankly, now that I look back on that, like I really blew it because if I had asked for help and told my colleagues and told people around me, I know they would have supported me. And I know I would have been in a much better position. But of course, I felt like I had to do it all on my own and carry it on my shoulders. And I can tell you that is not a good strategy it makes you feel, I guess, good in the way that you think, well, nobody knows what's going on with me and therefore I'm keeping up appearances. But as we all know, I mean, we would like the advice you would give to me if you had known me at the time would be like, get some help. You don't have to do this on your own. And, you know, I'd worked hard. I had credibility. People weren't going to say, oh, Patrick, you're making this up. Of course not. So I think asking for help is critical. Number three, keep things in perspective. This I totally blew as well. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I think sometimes these kinds of things in work environments, they really take a life of their own. And you know how it is like office politics and the personalities and all the drama. And, and it can be exciting, actually. I mean, I was like all excited about not in a happy way, but just like invested in the drama of the situation to the point where I just had like totally lost perspective. And now that I look back on it, yeah, it was a big deal by the way, I'm not diminishing the fact that we'd lost tons of money and time and energy and people lost their jobs. And it was terrible for me personally. But, you know, with life's perspective, I, I would go back to myself and I would say, you know, you're going to make it through this. And frankly, you're going to change probably in some ways you don't expect. And for me, the change that happened was after all this, I just realized, like, do I really want to work in a place where I'm damaging my health? where, you know, there's all these issues. And so it kind of started my thinking around the things that I do now. And, and frankly, I was so afraid of being an entrepreneur. I thought it'd be so darn hard. And I realized like, no, this is super hard. Like this is hard. Just feeling like you're in a place where, you know, your well-being and your happiness are impossible. So the perspective piece, easier said than done. But if you, if I'd asked for help, people would have given me perspective. And so I think talking about these things will help you get perspective. Next, take care of yourself. Of course, as I mentioned, I was completely ridiculous. I tried to just act like everything was fine. I mean, I was so sick that I had like these sort of dizziness and, and I couldn't really see things. I had to sit right up to the computer. I couldn't run on a treadmill because I would fall over. I mean, I, for months. And so it took me months to be normal again. And then thankfully, I, I really focused on my health and I got in really great shape and changed the way I do things. And so that was really good. But what I learned from this, of course, is like you can't make change when you're sick or weak. You need to be physically strong to be mentally, emotionally strong. And so I would have given myself the advice if I were able to go back, just like Patrick, my goodness, like don't, don't do this. Just calm down. Like, you know, treat yourself better so that you can be strong because this is, you know, these crises, it's not like a two week thing. This thing went on for years cleaning up this mess. And so I needed to be strong. And frankly, when I got back to health, I was in a great position to deal with it. Finally, and this is the one that I guess I'm doing today, which is figure out what you learned and write it down. 
And I actually, I mean, I guess my whole book, The 10% Entrepreneur, was basically that. It was like writing all the things that I learned about diversification, about keeping things perspective, about having a different type of career. And I'm so thankful that I had that experience. And, you know, it was it was hard, but I really learned a ton. And frankly, um, I'm thankful for it in, in, you know, perspective with all of these years later. I will say, though, don't necessarily write a blog post. So at one point, I actually did write a blog post for a publication about this experience. And I talked about it kind of very openly. And then one of my former colleagues was like, please don't do that. And I thank God it hadn't gone out yet. So I didn't publish it. But there may there are certain times when maybe you don't need to put it all out there. It's like because of confidentiality reasons or because of reputational reasons. Like, so while it's really helpful to consume uh, the knowledge and potentially disperse it through some sort of uh, you know, book or article or whatever you decide to do. Just think about whether or not it's going to cause more problems and headaches if people read it. All right. That is the end of that. I feel like I just, just unburdened myself actually. So thanks for listening to me today. And I am going to go, uh, I think I'm going to go and just like, I don't know, take a deep breath or something. I'm trying to just, just try to let it go. And, uh, and I will see you again on Thursday on another episode of FOMO Sapiens. FOMO. Can't get enough of FOMO Sapiens? Join me on Patreon for ad-free episodes, bonus material, and exclusive content that will help you to master FOMO and position yourself for greater success in both business and life. Go to patreon.com slash FOMO Sapiens. Tudo bem, meus queridos FOMO Sapiens? Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Now, FOMO Sapiens, you know I speak four languages, and it takes work to stay on top of them, especially with French. C'est difficile. But with Babbel, I'm able to practice practical conversations that I can actually use in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. ...to learn more. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on LinkedIn. I love hearing from you, so don't be shy. FOMO. Want more FOMO Sapiens and FOMO Monday? Head over to FOMOSapiens.com where you can listen to past episodes, learn more about the show, and find out how to advertise. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis and on Twitter at PJ McGinnis. 